How many of you have ever experienced a child opening up a gift that you got for them, maybe a Christmas gift, maybe a birthday gift, and either immediately or maybe a little later after the passage of a bit of time, you notice that the child seems more interested in the box and the wrapping paper than the gift itself. How many of you have ever witnessed that happen uh, with either your own children or someone else's children? Quite a few of you uh, have seen that happen. It's a pretty, pretty common thing. I mean, you could even place a $100 bill in a big box, wrap it up, and give it to any child. I don't know what age this would not be true anymore, but let's say that there would be some age where it would not be true, but let's say three or four-year-old child, $100 bill, uh, and it's almost certain that the child is going to be more excited about the box and the wrapping paper than, the, than they are the $100 bill. I've even seen this happen when what was inside the box and the wrapping paper was a gift that you thought the child was really going to be excited about. And yet they just sort of discard the, the gift and they are very enamored by the box and the wrapping paper. That is what captured their attention. There is a reason why children sometimes prefer the box, the package, and the wrapping to the actual gift. I suppose there could be many reasons, but one important reason children would, for example, prefer a box to a $100 bill is because they don't understand or appreciate the value of the gift that is inside the box. Their lack of understanding does not permit them to appreciate that a $100 bill is much more valuable and really much more exciting than a box and some wrapping paper. We're beginning a series today in the book of Hebrews that I've titled, It's All About Jesus. And while there's a lot that we don't know about the book of Hebrews, for example, we do not know who authored the book. We're not entirely certain of the date of the writing. It's probably sometime between A.D. 50 and A.D. 70. And it doesn't give us a lot of specific information about who it was written to. But what we do know, because it's clear in the text itself, is that it was written to Jesus-believing Jews who were in danger of falling away from the truth. For many Jesus-believing Jews, lots of their family and friends had not accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and they considered those who had accepted Jesus to be misguided, and they considered them to be disloyal to Judaism. And even they considered them to be unfaithful to God. And so these Jesus-believing Jews were subjected to a lot of pressure to try to get them to turn away from faith in Christ and to return to living according to Judaism, to turn to living according to the law of Moses. The Jews who had accepted Jesus were constantly under pressure by their family and friends to view the law of Moses as superior to the claims of the Jesus-believing Jews and return and submit again to living under the law. 
some of the Jesus-believing Jews were actually being persuaded to turn away from Christ and to turn back to the law. And so the author of Hebrews writes to encourage them to resist this temptation, to resist these appeals that are being uh, made to them. And what we're going to see as we go throughout Hebrews and throughout this first chapter of Hebrews is that the Jews who were turning back from Christ to the law and the Jews who were enticing them to turn back from the law or to the law from Christ, they were like children who prefer the package to the gift because they failed to understand who Jesus really was and they failed to appreciate the gift that God had given them and all mankind, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews begins this letter by declaring who Jesus is. And then he begins to systematically demonstrate that Jesus is better than, that Jesus is greater than all that had come before him, including the law of Moses. So let's read Hebrews 1 uh, together now. It's not too long. Uh, I think we're going to try reading it as a congregation, which has been a few weeks since we've done that. So if it's up there, uh, follow along and let's read together. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy." He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those 
who will inherit salvation. Amen. So Hebrews begins with the author acknowledging that God has spoken to the Jewish people throughout their history. And that in past times, he spoke to them through the prophets and in various ways, which included the law of Moses. But in the last days, the author says, God has spoken through Jesus. And then the author immediately goes into reminding them who Jesus is. And in doing so, he's reminding them of Jesus' superiority to the prophets. He's reminding them that Jesus is superior to all that came before him. He is reminding them that God saved the best and the greatest, Jesus, for last. Here's who he reminds them that Jesus is. Jesus is God's son and heir of all things. Jesus is the one through whom the universe was created. He's more than a prophet. The universe was made through him. And then the author writes these amazing words. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's an incredible, incredible line. You know, whenever we see characteristics of a parent show up in a child, what do we sometimes say? They're a what? Spitting image is one. Chip off the old block. What was that one? Carbon copy. Chip off the old block was the right answer for, for those of you who, who were guessing. <laughs> when I was a high school student working as a waiter at Perkins Restaurant at Bryson Tussing or Tussing, whichever you prefer, I was waiting on a table one time, and someone that I had never met in my entire life asked me this question, are you Dana Bird's son? And I said... I am. And I forget what the characteristic was that they had identified, but there was some characteristic that they noticed in me that they just said they knew that I had to be Dana Bird's son. Michelle and I have had uh, somewhat similar things happen as people at times have commented on uh, some aspect of our sons and how they reminded them of us, perhaps a facial similarity or a personality uh, similarity, and many of you parents have had this exact same thing uh, happen. But it is not true that I'm the exact representation of my father, or that any of our children are the exact representations of us. Jesus is not just a chip off the old block of God. The author writes that Jesus is the exact representation of God. What you see in Jesus is what God is. When you see Jesus, you see God. The Son and the Father are one Jesus is God, the exact representation. 
N.T. Wright, a theologian, says that through the prophets and the law, quote, God had for a long time been sending advance sketches of himself to his people. As the law and the prophets would describe things about God. But then he goes on and says, but now in Jesus, he's given us an exact portrait. Sketches were nice, but Jesus is the exact representation of God. The author reminds those tempted to turn away from Jesus of who Jesus is. He is God, and he's the one the prophets and the law were meant to lead the Jewish people to receive. They're they're now trying to get them to leave Jesus and return to the law and the prophets. But the role of the law and prophets was to get people prepared to receive Jesus. He goes on and reminds them, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. The universe holds together because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who purifies from sin. And Jesus is the one who is seated at the right hand of God, which again speaks of his equality with the Father. All of these things speak to the uniqueness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. And then we read in verse 4, so he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, heir of all things, maker of the universe, exact representation of God, sustainer of all things, one who purifies from sin, one seated at the right hand of God is superior to the angels? What? Doesn't that seem obvious? Isn't that like an of course? Isn't that like, like, duh? Of course he's superior to the angels? Why does the author say that? What does it mean when the author says Jesus is superior To the angels, here's what it means. Jewish tradition taught that the law had been given to Moses by angels. Not only did it come from God, but it had been given to Moses by angels, they taught. So to people being influenced to turn away from Jesus and to turn back to Judaism turn back to living according to the law of Moses, when the author writes that Jesus is superior to the angels, the meaning of that phrase is that Jesus is superior to the law that the angels brought. It's a way of saying that Jesus is, yes, superior to the law. He's also superior to the prophets. He is superior to everything that came before him. N.T. Wright helps us again. Here's what he writes. 
the law was not fixed for all time, as many Jews thought then and still think today. It was part of God's preparation. It was part of the beautiful and brilliant wrapping in which God's ultimate present, God's gift of his own son, uh, I'm sorry, God's gift of his own self in the person of the son would be contained. The law and the prophets were used by God to prepare people to receive the gift of Jesus. The law and the prophets, in a sense, were the container, the, the box, the packaging through which Jesus was given to the world. And, and what was happening that this letter of Hebrews addresses is that Jesus-believing Jews were being influenced to value the packaging the law, the prophets, Jewish tradition, over the gift, Jesus. And the author warns them not to do this. And as we go throughout Hebrews, we're going to find that the warnings are very strong warnings. Extremely sobering warnings about the danger of turning away from Jesus and back to the packaging. And so he reminds them that Jesus is superior to everything that God used to bring Jesus to the world. And this is what we'll see all throughout Hebrews. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than everything that came before him. He is greater than everything that pointed to him. And if they turn their back on Jesus, they've missed the whole point of everything that God has done throughout their entire history, and there will be serious consequences for rejecting Jesus, God's gift, Jesus, the truth, Jesus, the one greater than the law and the prophets. And this is the reason for the title of this series. Everything God did with the prophets and the law, everything God did in the Old Testament, everything God has done throughout history, it's all been about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. A lot of series on Hebrews go with a greater theme, and both are correct. Everything God has done throughout history is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus is greater than everything that came before him. And the rest of chapter 1 and the entirety of the rest of Hebrews demonstrates the superiority of Jesus to everything that came before. And then the author goes on. And he uses the Old Testament itself to demonstrate the superiority of Jesus to the angels, meaning the superiority of Jesus to the law, to the prophets, to everything that came before him. The Old Testament itself testifies to the superiority of Jesus. But they were missing this. And so the author reminds them. In verse 5, he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, Today I've become your father. The answer is none. He never said that to an angel. 
only said to Jesus. And that comes to us from Psalm 2, 7. Verse 5 again, or again, to which of the angels was it ever said, I will be his father and he will be my son? A reference to 2 Samuel 7, 14. Then verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. A reference to Deuteronomy 32. And then in verses 7 through 9, the author contrasts what the Old Testament says about the angels and about the Son. In speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. That's Psalm 104.4. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. About the Son, he says that. Your throne will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions and anointed you with the oil of joy, Psalm 45, 6, and 7. It's all in the New Testament. Who Jesus is, the superiority of Jesus. It's all in the, I think I said New Testament, it's all in the Old Testament. It's all through the Old Testament. You just have to see it. And the author just keeps driving this point home. Verses 10 through 12. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end, said of Jesus. Psalm 102, 25 through 27. And then he goes, he goes on. And the final one in chapter 1 here is verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That's a reference to Psalm 110.1. And it was not said of angels, it was said of Jesus. And so the author uses the Old Testament itself to demonstrate the superiority of Jesus to the angels, meaning the superiority of Jesus to the prophets, to the law, to Jewish tradition, to demonstrate the superiority of Jesus to everything that came before him, which was entirely for the purpose of preparing people to receive him. That's what it was all about. The author of Hebrews wanted them to know that Jesus is greater than everything else. And he wanted them to know, and by extension he wanted us to know, that Jesus is greater than anything and everything that tries to distract us from him. Jesus is greater than anything and everything that tries to distract us from him. Jews who did not believe in Jesus were trying to distract the Jesus-believing Jews. They, they were trying to persuade them that the packaging was better than the gift. And the author says adamantly, no, it isn't. The gift is so much better than the packaging that the, I'm stumbling on my words today, the packaging 
that delivered the gift. It's so much better than that. Maybe you're thinking, okay, Brian, I get it. But I don't really think many believers today are going to be tempted to turn away from Christianity and convert to Judaism. I've not seen that happen. So how does this relate to us? Well, it is unlikely that many believers today are turning away from Christianity for Judaism. But many believers today do face the temptation to be more enamored with the box, the packaging, the wrapping, than they are with the gift of Jesus. And let me give you just a few examples, and some of these are going to be a little awkward. Some of them are going to be things I've never even touched on before in 17 years of, of being a pastor, because I actually try to avoid awkwardness, even though I may fail <laughs> at times. Let me admit to you today that I have conflicting thoughts about the Catholic Church. But let me be honest about something today. The elevated place that Catholicism gives to Mary and to the saints is an example of getting distracted by the box and the wrapping. God used Mary to bring Jesus into the world but you cannot find any scriptural support for praying to Mary, for the veneration of Mary. It is an unscriptural practice that should not be done. It is a distraction from the true gift, Jesus. The saints are people who are great examples of living for God. They were people through whom many came to know Christ. But praying to a saint is a case of being enamored with the packaging and being distracted from the true gift, Jesus. I don't know if you saw the story this week, but lots and lots of people were informed by the Catholic Church over the last couple of weeks that their baptisms are invalid because the priest said, we baptize you instead of I baptize you. And because of that one word change, baptism's invalid. Do you think Jesus is pleased with that? Distracted by the box, the pretty wrapping paper, missing Jesus. Everybody okay? All right. An inordinate curiosity and fixation with angels is something that some Christians get distracted by and should not. The Bible tells us about angels, but they are not to be the focus of our lives. Jesus is. Not to try to figure out the name of our guardian angel. I, I personally, I mean, maybe you have a Bible verse that will challenge me on this, but I personally don't think we should 
spend a lot of time trying to figure out the names of the warring angels that fight for Pataskala. Angels announce the birth of Jesus. It's awesome. They appeared to many to bring messages from God. But they are mere messengers of God. They're not the focal point. Jesus is. And some of us face similar challenges to what the early Jewish Jesus believers faced. It was the law and prophets that prepared them to receive Jesus. It was through the law and prophets that Jesus came to them. But once Jesus came, they were tempted to reject Jesus for the law and the prophets. And many of us are tempted to elevate the vehicle through which we came to know Jesus, a particular person, a particular church, a particular denomination, above the gift that that vehicle brought to us, above the gift that that package delivered to us. We're tempted to elevate those things above Jesus himself. And so if the church or denomination we came to know Jesus in had some distinctive that set them apart from other believers, often that distinctive becomes more important to people than Jesus himself. If we aren't careful, if we came to know Jesus through politically conservative churches and denominations, let, let, me, let me just be real open. I consider myself a political conservative, okay? So I'm not like hitting other people here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm hitting me, and I'm hitting anybody well, I'm not hitting, I'm, I'm, I'm gently nudging. But I'm talking to my people, okay? I'm talking to my people. Our political conservatism can become more important to us than Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that in 2020, it did for a lot of people. Even though that group that was politically conservative was the vehicle, the packaging that delivered Christ to us, so to speak, it was just a vehicle. It was just the packaging. It was not itself the gift. Every aspect of that church or denomination through whom we came to know Jesus is not meant to become the center of our faith. I've seen people for whom it was very obvious that at a minimum, their love of their denomination, their group, the people through whom they came to know Christ, their love for that group was at minimum competing with Jesus as their greatest affection. I've seen examples where I truly believe a person was more devoted to their denomination. That's my mama's church. I'm never going to leave my mama's church. My daddy bought that pew right there. I'll never leave this church. My daddy bought that pew. More devoted to their denomination than they were to Jesus. And we know this is true. 
because people remain in denominations that have rejected the authority of scriptures, have rejected the need of salvation, have embraced lifestyles that the Bible says you cannot embrace. And yet self-identified Christians remain. The people who led us to Jesus, the churches that we grew up in, the denominations we've been a part of, the cultural distinctives of any of these entities, they can be things, and most of the time they are things that we should be thankful for and appreciative of, but they're still the box and the wrapping. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is greater than the wrapping of the law and the prophets. He's greater than the wrapping through which we were initially introduced to him. He's greater than any cultural aspect of our churches or our denominations. The gift is better than the packaging. And so let's not neglect the gift for the box and the wrapping paper like little children. Let's value the gift in the box more than we value the box. Again, we can be thankful for the people and things that God used to bring us to Him, but our love, our devotion, our obedience, our worship, our allegiance, those belong to Jesus alone. May that be true for each and every one of us that call Living Hope Church home. Do you believe that? If you do, say amen. amen. All right. Let's stand.